welcome each one to our worship service this morning. And to commence, we're going to turn to the hymn 19. Uh, the hymn 19, the bulletin says Psalm, uh, but it is the hymn 19 we're turning to. I sing the old, I sing the mighty power of God, the may the mountains rise that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. The hymn number 19 will stand as we worship, please. be seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 6. And we'll read some verses from the verse number 9, looking at the Lord's Prayer as we have it here. Matthew 6, the verse 9, and the Savior is speaking. He says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. And the Savior gives this prayer to his disciples and to us. And it is a prayer that is an example or a pattern for us as we come to pray and as we come to seek the Lord. And of course, there's much we need to learn about prayer. And the Savior here is teaching. And he gives this pattern for his people. We're to pray and ask the Lord to supply our needs. We're to ask the Lord to forgive us for our sins and to deliver us from temptation to give a summary. And we are to pray prayers that glorify our God and show our thankfulness and our love to him. Let us unite together in prayer and seek the Lord. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice today that we can find ourselves afresh in thy presence and in worship of thy name. And Father, we thank thee that we can sing thy praises. We rejoice in the almighty power of God, which we can sing about today, which we can rejoice in, which we have experienced. Those who know and love thee have experienced thy almighty power. And Father, today as we gather here in worship, we pray we would continue to experience thy power, that we would experience it and not only in the salvation of others and seeing others come and trust in thee, but, O oh God, we would experience it within our lives as we are taught thy truth and as we are edified and built up and sanctified in our faith. We pray, Father, thou would work within our hearts today that we would be a sanctified people, a people who know and love thee, a people who rejoice in the goodness of their God. And Father, we look to thee for thy blessing to be upon us as we worship. We pray that we would not be distracted by the things of this world as we gather together in thy name. Thou would be pleased to meet with us. Thou would be pleased to open thy truth to our hearts and that we would and know thy speaking voice within our hearts. Our Father, we do remember the services today. We thank thee for the Sunday school and the boys and the girls. We pray thou would bless them and save them. We do think of the care home service uh, this afternoon. We pray that as we go there and sing, as the Sunday school takes part, as we reflect upon the incarnation of the Savior, uh, we pray that thou would bless and bless thy word as uh, we bring it. And as the Savior is set forth as the Lamb of God who came into this world to save sinners. Father, we do remember our families here. Remember, Father, all who have gathered. And we pray for thy hand of blessing to be upon us. May we be men and women who know and love thee. Families that have as their chief desire in life to serve the Lord and to live for him. Father, keep us from a division. Keep us from a false doctrine. Keep us pure, we pray, that we would constantly look to thee for thy grace and the work of thy spirit within our lives. Our Father, we pray thou would forgive us for our sins. How easy it is to fall into sin. 
We mentioned regarding the errors and heresies that came into the early church. O God, of how easy it is to fall into these things. How easy it is to have our hearts turned away from thy truth. To have our hearts turned away from thee. That we would walk not in the ways and paths of righteousness, but we would walk in the ways of sin. And we pray thou would keep us close to thee and close to thy word. And as we come to the table of the Lord today, that we would, as thy people, examine ourselves and look at ourselves in the light of the word of God. That as we come to thy table to remember what Christ has done for us and to remember his great sacrifice for our sins, that, Father, we would look at ourselves and realize that there are things within our lives that do not bring glory to thee, that stand against all that Christ has accomplished for us. And, Father, we pray for thy grace and that surgical work, as it were, of thy spirit within our hearts to root out that sin, to remove it, to the glory of thy name, that we would worship thee with pure hearts, with clean hands. Father, may this table be a blessing to us as we gather in thy name. May it be a witness to those who are outside of Christ that the Savior came into this world to die upon the cross, to redeem those who are lost, to save those who could never save themselves. We thank thee for the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And Father, we pray today that thou would be pleased to answer our cries that souls here would see the great need they have of a Savior. Father, we remember those in need in our congregation. Remember Clayton Snow. Remember our sister Debbie. Father, remember Vern and his family. We pray, Father, for thy help and thy salvation. We pray for thee to move. Father, we remember others also who need thy help and thy strength. Father, we remember uh, our brother Calvin Golliger today as well, uh, that thou uh, would undertake for him and uh, bless, and may he know the hand of the great physician upon him. And Father, for others also, we thank thee that in the depths of despair and in the depths of discouragement and in the hardships and trials of life, whatever our experience is, we thank thee we can cast our care at the feet of the Savior because he careth for us. May we as thy saints never lose sight of that truth. And Father, may it bring much comfort to us that whatever we face in life, we can leave it at the feet of the Savior, knowing he loves us, knowing he cares for us, knowing he has that almighty power to intervene and intercede on our behalf. And today, O oh God, as we come to worship, bless us. Do our hearts good. May we rejoice in the centrality of Scripture. Apply thy truth to our hearts that we would leave here challenged. We would leave here knowing that our lives have been changed. Our hearts have been pricked by thy word. And that it would not merely be something that goes into our ears, something we've maybe heard before time and time again, but yet we've ignored, but may it come with that freshness, 
that something must be done, that our lives need to change. And Father, may we look to Thee for power, for Thy grace, for the working of Thy Spirit. Change us today. Mold us. Edify our hearts, we pray. Build us up to the glory of Thy name, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 71. The hymn 71, My Redeemer, O what beauties in that lovely name appear, none but Jesus in his glories shall the honored title were. My Redeemer, and we'll stand as we sing, please. seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're coming back after a little while uh, to our series in 1 Timothy. And we're commencing to read from verse number 1. 1 Timothy 2, the verse 1. 
The word of God says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may live, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this morning. We do extend to each one present a word of welcome and to those visiting with us. We especially welcome you and trust that you'll know the Lord's blessing as we gather together. And the same for those watching in online. We do appreciate your presence with us and trust the blessing of God to be upon you also. Do remember that at uh, the close of the service this morning, we will be remembering uh, the death of the Savior around his table. And then at 1.45, uh, we have our service at Langley Lodge, Kerholm, and uh, we will be considering the incarnation of the Savior. Uh, some of the children from the Sunday school uh, will be there to sing. I went downstairs this morning to listen to them sing, and it was good. Uh, it was good uh, to listen. I almost uh, thought I could just sit here and listen to them sing and leave everybody upstairs waiting for the adult Bible class to start, the adult Sunday school. Uh, but I had to leave and to come up uh, to do that. But uh, we enjoyed the children singing, and we're looking forward uh, to that uh, this afternoon. So do remember that service and do pray for it. And then on Saturday, the 9th of December at 12 p.m., and also on Monday, and the 11th of December at 12 p.m., we have our 55-plus Christmas lunch at Newlands Golf and Country Club. There's been a few changes here. Uh, I have summarized it in the bulletin. And uh, we have been greatly encouraged. There are a number of people put their names on the list for uh, the uh, lunch. And uh, we phoned up to increase our booking and they are fully booked for Saturday. And so we couldn't have any more come. 
Uh, we were overbooked as it is. Uh, but what we've been able to do is we have, have another booking uh, for Monday. And so uh, there are two bookings available, one on Saturday the 9th, one on Monday the 11th, both at 12 p.m. And so what we're asking is uh, that if you could put your name on the list by the end of today so we know the exact numbers for the two bookings. And we encourage you to come. Uh, the Saturday booking is full. Uh, but if there are those and Monday works better for you, uh, then feel free to change your name. Uh, the list for Saturday will stay the same unless there are those who want to switch over to Monday. And then those who are not on the list but you want to come, uh, we encourage you to put your name down for Monday. Uh, but if spaces arise for Saturday, uh, then feel free to do so. You may need to talk to me a little about that. Uh, but uh, we'll get there. And uh, we are encouraged that uh, so many want to come as well. And uh, this is the only way that we've been able to have everyone uh, that wants to come. We've had to make two bookings. And so we trust you'll bear with us on that. And uh, next year, uh, we'll maybe make a bigger booking to begin with and make it much easier. Uh, but this year, we've had to split it into two bookings. And so uh, hopefully by the end of today, uh, if you could let us know uh, the details uh, for that, please. We do encourage you to come, and if you're 55 uh, plus, uh, do put your name down, do come and have uh, fellowship uh, with us, and we encourage you uh, to do so. So there are two lists then on the table, one marked Monday, one marked Saturday uh, for that end. And then Friday the 15th of December at 7 p.m., we have our Christmas social and fellowship uh, there are lists, again, on the table. There is one for food, uh, to put your name down and say what you're bringing. And then there is another list uh, for the Christmas social. And uh, if you put your name on that list and what you would like to do. And so what happens at uh, this uh, gathering, uh, this gathering for fellowship, uh, there are those who would take part. There will be singing. Uh, there will be uh, readings of the Word of God. Uh, I'll be bringing a devotion. I believe uh, there's a quiz as well. And hopefully it's not everyone else versus the pastor. We, we should uh, balance that a little bit. Uh, but uh, it is a good time of fellowship, a good time uh, of fun as well. And as we even reflect upon uh, the incarnation of the Savior. And so there are two lists, one for food and one if you would like to sing or read or take part in some way or sure a short word of testimony. Uh, do uh, put your name down. If there are no uh, volunteers, uh, then I'm going to have to go and ask uh, people to, to volunteer. And so uh, I don't want to do that, uh, but I will have to do that if nobody wants to take part. And so if you are looking to do something or would like to do something, then do so. And we'll create a program and we'll have, in God's will, a good time on that day. And then the next day, the Saturday the 16th, is the men's prayer breakfast. The bulletin also uh, records one of the decisions of uh, the session, the elders of the church. Uh, we have decided that for the year 2024, uh, the services or the Lord's table uh, will be held during the evening services uh, for January, April, July, and October. Uh, so uh, quarterly, uh, there will be a Lord's Table held, not in the morning, but in the evening. And so January, April, July, October, the Lord's Table will be in the evening to help those who maybe come out uh, only in the evening as well. But for the other months, 
it will remain unchanged. So do uh, bear that in mind. It's something we will uh, review, uh, but it's something that is common in many churches where the Lord's table is alternated uh, sometimes between the morning and evening services. And so do uh, bear that in mind. These are all the announcements, uh, the subject uh, to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 676. 676. And we'll remain seated while our tithes and offerings are received. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat is found beneath the mercy seat. 676. And we'll remain seated for the first part, please. God and Father, we thank thee, Lord, that we can gather together in this house this morning. We ask that you would meet with us and help us take our tithes, take our offerings, use them for the furtherance of the gospel. We pray that the gospel would go forth in many places and that you would bless it. Bless us as we gather around this table and also for the preaching time that you would bless our pastor. Give him the words to speak and help us in the pews to take it in. And we pray that all things would be done for thy glory and honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand to sing verse 4, verse 5 of 676. Verses 4 and 5.
may be seated. Turning again in the scriptures to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this morning we're coming into a section that many will say is controversial. And we're not coming directly into it today. We may be touching on some of those themes. But coming into verse 9 down to the end of the chapter, we deal with the role of women within the church of Christ. And for many, these are controversial words. And these are words that have been debated uh, over many, many years, uh, words that we could say that some churches have set aside as well. And so uh, we will be coming to those in due time and to consider uh, what they mean. Uh, but this morning we're turning to 1 Timothy 2, the verse 8. Uh, there has been much about prayer already. And we're coming to a final verse regarding prayer. Of course, our previous messages on this chapter concern prayer, prayer for kings, for all that are in authority. Uh, but we're coming today to verse 8. Again, another verse about prayer. And the apostle is speaking about the men. And then he speaks about the women also. But we see in verse 8, the word of God says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. And let us pray, let us unite together in prayer and seek the Lord as we consider his word today. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for uh, what thy truth contains to us. And we rejoice, O oh God, that all that we need is found in thy word, that it is sufficient for us. And we pray that as we approach these passages, that thou would lead us aright, and that we would rightly divide the word of truth, and we would rightly see uh, what is being taught to us. Father, may we know thy blessing upon thy word today. Bless it to those outside of Christ. Bless it to those who are thy people. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be touched by thy spirit, that we would learn from thee today, oh, these truths have a great bearing upon the church of Christ. They apply to every single one of us here. And the challenge of this message, this text that we have today, applies to every one of us. And we have a duty. We have a responsibility in the place of prayer. And we pray today that thou would write it upon our hearts, that the prayer of our souls would be, Lord, teach us, teach us, Continue to instruct us in how to pray. And Father, encourage us to pray that we would be a people who know the Lord, who know how to pray, whose first reaction in every situation is to seek Thee and to pray for Thy mind and for Thy blessing and to be found within our lives. Father, bless us, glorify Thy name, and to our hearts good, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. 
When God created mankind, he, in his wisdom, power, and according to his divine decree, created two distinct genders, male and female. These two genders in marriage are to complement one another to the glory of God, and we are to reject the unbiblical philosophies of this world concerning men, women, genders, and gender roles. And of course, you may ask the question, what has gender got to do with the message on prayer that we see set out today in the bulletin? Is there a different message that we're going to preach on? No, uh, because this biblical emphasis upon gender and upon gender roles and the role of men and women within the church is the great context that we see here in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15. There was a professor some years ago who taught a, taught a course at a college in New York. Her objective was simply this, gender is fiction. Gender is fiction. She said that my working assumption in this course is that gender is already imaginary in the first place, meaning that it is a construction. It is a fiction that we all live with and work with in our daily lives. Therefore, the concept of male and female, man and woman, as God decreed in his word, as God created originally in the book of Genesis, where we can read that, is a fiction. It's been made up. There is no such thing. But yet, though the world seeks to erase the distinctions and the roles between men and women in society, and of course within the church, the word of God is our only rule of faith and practice. We considered that this morning in the adult Sunday school. The word of God is our only rule of faith and practice against the error that comes into the church. And that might be errors we saw this morning from within the church and from those professing Christ. But there is also error that comes in through the ideas and philosophies of secular society. But the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. And within Canada, we have the human right to follow the Bible and to obey its teachings. And the Bible teaches two distinct genders and two distinct gender roles that apply to families, that apply to society, and that apply to the church. And the church is the context here for what the apostle is teaching. And as a church, we believe that both men and women make valuable contributions to the life of the church of Christ. The roles and responsibilities may be different because of Scripture's teaching regarding gender. But let me make this exceedingly clear. Our adherence to the biblical teaching of 1 Timothy 2 and the biblical teaching of male elders and male deacons and male pastors is not something that tramples over the ladies within the church of Christ. They are loved. They ought to be loved. And they too have a biblical responsibility and a duty to Christ's church, but in different ways. And it is a privilege to be able to complement one another, to serve the Lord alongside one another. Women are not to be downtrodden by the men in a family or in the workplace or in a congregation. And especially in a congregation when we understand that the biblical role of leadership is to be set aside for men. And in saying that, not every man in a church should be in leadership. There are qualifications. 
One of those qualifications is men. But there are other qualifications that then begin to limit or restrict what men can actually hold office within the church of Christ. And in 1 Timothy 3, we will see that outlined to us. The apostle deals with who should be elders, not every man, but men who live a certain way, men who are godly, and that is explained in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so office within the church is limited to certain men and not just any man. And so we need to understand and appreciate each other. The men appreciating and loving the women within the church. The women loving and appreciating the men within the church of Christ. And that is the approach that we take. And as we come to these verses, and especially verse 9, moving to verse 15, that is the approach that we will be taking. We complement one another. We work together for the good of Christ's church. And though there are different things said here to one particular part of the church, that it does not mean that they should be looked down upon. Most certainly not. To do so, I believe, is sinful. But God has set out how his church should be run, how his church should be organized, how his church should be structured. And that applies to all of us, to all of us. And this morning we see something of that. The Lord is dealing here with conduct within the church. How should we behave? And we see here that all men are to pray. We see that, that all are to pray in these verses. We're to pray for all men. But now the apostle speaks merely to the men in verse 8. Of course, we need to emphasize in verse 9, it says, in like manner also. And the indication there is that the women are to pray as well. Not just the men, but the women are to pray. But the emphasis this morning will be on the men. And, of course, the application we will make to the men, is some of that application is beneficial for the ladies as well, because we ought to be a praying people. We ought to be those who know the Lord, who seek Him in prayer. We believe as a congregation that our prayer meetings are to be prayer meetings where not only the men pray, uh, but the women have that opportunity also and that right and responsibility to pray and to seek the Lord in prayer. And so what we're saying does apply, though the context in this verse specifically is to men. But the apostle outlines we are all to pray, and he outlines a duty to men, a duty to men. But what is prayer? I will therefore that Men pray everywhere. One of the Puritans, Simeon Ash, said that prayer is a matter more of the heart than the head. In prayer, it is not so much fluency that prevails as fervency. In other words, you may struggle to string two sentences to, or two words together in a sentence. I've just illustrated that. You can struggle to put two words together in a sentence. But that does not mean that God does not listen to your cry. That does not mean because you may struggle to pray and to put words together, especially in the place of public prayer, that God does not listen. Because as we're taught here by this old Puritan preacher, it is not the fluency of language. There are men that can string 
great sentences together and pray for long periods of time. Does that mean that the simple prayer that someone cries to God from the heart is bottom of the queue? No. God hears all our cries. It's the heart God looks at. The fervency of the heart. The cleanness of the heart. The heart that desires to seek him in prayer. He said, nor is God so much taken with elegancy of speech as the efficacy of the spirit. Humility is better than arrogance. Here the mourner is the orator. Sighs and groans are the best rhetoric. And so in prayer, we can pray in different ways. We can think of Hannah, the book of Samuel. And she prayed to the Lord, but Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. Her mouth was moving. Nothing was coming out. She was praying quietly in the innermost part of her heart. And she was praying. And prayer can come in different ways. Prayer can be watered with our tears. Calvin refers to this verse in the title of his sermon. And he calls his sermon on verse 8, the gift of prayer. The gift of and it is a gift to the church of Christ. And dear believer, you and I, we need to understand that. God has given us a gift. That we can approach his throne of grace. That we can seek him in prayer. That through the trials of life and the difficulties that the church of Christ has to face, we can pray. We can pray. Earlier this week, we had our meeting of session the elders came together let me give you a little information about how we meet together we discuss matters to do with the church of christ and the oversight of the church but we pray we pray because we cannot do those things and lead within the church of christ without seeking him in prayer oh how different it would be to come into that meeting and be on our own and not having the ability or the means to talk to God and to pour out our heart to him and ask for help because we have to help ourselves. How feeble our efforts would be, but yet we do so in the strength of the Lord and we do so because we know we can look to him and we can pray and every time we meet, we pray. Often all of us pray. And we pray for the families of this church. We pray for the work of this church. We pray for the decisions that have to be made. We pray for unity and that spirit of godliness amongst us. We seek the Lord. Why? It is a gift God has given to his church. To help us to serve him. To live for him. And it's something that we see expressed in the meetings of our congregation as we pray together. As we come specifically on occasions to pray and seek the Lord. God has given us, as Calvin said, the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer. Some may be receiving gifts in a few weeks' time. If you were to receive a gift from your wife or husband or children and you opened it. And you said, I don't want this. They spent time, they spent time working hard to buy that gift, to looking out a gift for you, and you just throw it back in their face. How hurt they would be. I remember almost doing that one time to my brother. Uh, he was very young, four or five years of age, and I joked 
uh, back uh, in those days, 20-odd years ago, uh, that because he was annoying me, I would get him a doll for Christmas. Of course, I was only joking, uh, but he took it serious, and he wasn't happy. Uh, so that's what he got me for Christmas. And uh, it was uh, quite, uh, quite the funny story. Uh, we lived in uh, the church house, and the church manse, and so many people came uh, to, to visit. And my brother, every time I was out at work, made the effort to put this doll in my bedroom window so everyone would see. And, of course, I threw it back in his face. I don't want that. And he thought it was the funniest thing uh, he had ever seen or ever done and still talks about it to this day. We can receive gifts that we don't want. And we can throw it back in someone's face or we can graciously receive it, but we never use it. It means nothing to us. But God has given his church a gift that should mean everything to us. He has given us the gift of prayer. And we are instructed in the word of God time and time again. And by the example of God's people to pray. To use this gift. To take it off the shelf. To open it up. To look at all the great fullness that is within it. The great benefit that God has given. There's a story that was told many years ago. In Northern Ireland, I've heard this over the years, I'm not sure whether it is true or not, but it concerns an old pastor. And he was given a gift of gloves by an individual who knew him quite well. And of course he thought, I've no use for these gloves. And so this gift was put away in the shelf. And over the course of several years, the pastor suffered greatly. There were financial issues and troubles and he struggled through and it came time for a wedding and it was cold he needed gloves and his wife said what about the gloves that you got many many years ago and so he took them off the shelf he opened them up and as he put his hand in one of the gloves his hand didn't go all the way in and inside were bills I think as we would call them in North America banknotes that had been given by this friend in regard to helping him through hard times and difficult times. And he had set the gift aside. But what a blessing it would have been had it been taken out and used. And dear believer, God has given us a wonderful gift. That when we're discouraged and when we're saddened and when our hearts are downtrodden, when we're facing difficult times, when we're in the valley and we're not sure where to turn to or we're in a tunnel as it were, and we don't see any light whatsoever. God has given us a gift that we can turn to him and we can pray. Do you use that gift? Do you use that gift? Is it sitting on the shelf of your spiritual life, gathering dust? That someone could come along and write something, write a condemnation of you in that dust? Or would you use this gift? And so this morning, I want us to consider the duty of men in prayer. The duty of men in prayer. Bearing in mind the context here, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Of course, it's the duty of the church. It's the duty of us all. But in the context, the duty of men. And we see, firstly, the right responsibility in prayer. The right responsibility in prayers. We consider verse 8. We see that Paul's desire is that men everywhere will pray. That all the men of the church will pray. This is not... Paul saying, Timothy, you need to pray. Timothy, your church needs to pray. For this is the Spirit of God writing through Paul 
telling Timothy, telling his church, telling all believers to pray. And it is the command of Christ for the men of his church. For the men of his church. The word that is translated here, will, has the sense of a command of authority. A command of authority. The term men, of course, is speaking of men, males, as opposed to females. Often we think of men, mankind. We're talking about everyone. But here it is specifically men. But it is a command of authority. You must pray. Dear brother in Christ, you must pray. This is what the Lord is commanding you to do as a Christian. As a Christian brother within the church, as a Christian man, as a Christian employee, as a Christian husband and father, God is commanding you to be a man of prayer, to pray, to seek his face. One commentator said, God wants his sons to be men of prayer, men of prayer. The, con the content of prayer has been considered by Paul already, but he moves to this conduct Men are to pray, and they are to pray in a certain way, as we see here, and we'll move to that. But men are to understand that God has given a responsibility that they have to pray. This is our right duty and our right responsibility in life. And Paul's implication is that prayer will be offered everywhere, many locations. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, not merely at the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the place of worship. Men went there to pray. But Paul is saying... Not merely praying at the temple or praying at the church. We are to pray everywhere because God has given us that gift to pray. Dear believer, you can pray driving down the road to the church. You can pray in the pew that God would challenge you and bless his word to you. You can pray in the workplace that God will help you. You can pray as you lie in your bed at night. We can pray Everywhere, everywhere. If we turn back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the Savior gave the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, that pattern of prayer. But before that, he speaks about the Pharisees, the ones who pray openly and publicly. And so if we are to pray everywhere, why are the Pharisees condemned here for praying in the streets? It's because they prayed with the wrong intentions. They prayed to be seen of men. Look at me. I'm so spiritual. Look at me. I'm so holy and God's favor will be upon me. But yet the Lord says, while we are to pray everywhere, we're not to pray, verse 5, as the hypocrites be. They love to be praying in the synagogues that they may be seen of men, to summarize this. But he says to his people, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We're to pray in secret. We're to pray in public too, yes. But we're to pray in secret. We're to pray privately. And God sees that. God sees that. Do we have that desire to come aside from the world? in the places that God has put us to pray. And we pray because of the gospel. We pray because of Christ. We pray everywhere and can pray everywhere because he is our mediator and intercessor. 
Hebrews says, 7 verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And so we see in 2 Timothy 2, we pray, and we pray because of Christ. All men are to be prayed for. We see in verse 4, God desires all men to be saved. In verse 6, the Son is the great ransom to redeem men. And therefore in verse 8, there's this desire that men pray everywhere. And we're praying because of Christ. We're praying because of the gospel. Because before we were saved and converted, we did not have that access to God in prayer. But because of Christ and his gospel and his work within our lives, that middle wall of partition has been broken down. We can hear. We can hear. I made a phone call a few weeks ago from the church here as phoning uh, one of uh, our fellow ministers. And I could hardly hear him or he couldn't hear me too well uh, because of the signal within the church. And so there were problems hearing one another. And so we phoned again on, on the internet, WhatsApp, FaceTime, and using the connection through the Wi-Fi, it was better. That interference was gone. The signal was better. And because of the gospel of Christ, that middle wall has been broken down because we are now brought nigh to Christ. We who were sinners and rebels to God did not have that access to pray and to seek the Lord because we were not his people. But Christ has changed that. It's changed that. And we have that freedom and that liberty to seek the Lord in prayer. And we are reminded this morning as we gather around the table of the Lord of the great responsibility and ability of men to pray because of the sacrifice of Christ. The Lord's table reminds us of this. We can be a people who embrace the gift of prayer because of Christ, because he died for us, because he is our mediator and our intercessor. Can you pray today? And seek the Lord because Christ is your Savior. Because you're redeemed. You've been forgiven of your sin. You've been saved. Isaac Watts praised the Lord and he said, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. And then he says, to him shall endless prayer be made and praises thronged a crown his head. Endless prayer. We're to be a people that pray consistently and without ceasing. Without ceasing. We need to have that right responsibility, that right duty in the place of prayer. Dear brethren, congregation, because this does apply to the ladies as well as we see in verse 9 and like manner also. Are you praying? Are you using this great gift? Brethren, are you taking on this great responsibility of prayer? The role of the men is to lead within the church and lead within the family and be an example of prayer. Christ is our great example of prayer. Interceding on behalf of his people. And the men of this congregation are to be men of prayer. Men who take upon themselves the burdens of not only of their lives and their families, but the work of this congregation, praying. 
taking upon themselves the work of Christ and praying and leading. We had our men's prayer meeting last evening. How different it would be if those men who faithfully attend didn't see the importance of what we're saying. It'd only be the pastor or maybe the elders and that would be it. But yet our hearts rejoice that there's men within the church who come and pray. There's men who are praying at home themselves. There's men who come on the internet on Zoom and pray with us because of the importance of this. Dear brother, we encourage you to pray, to pray privately, to come and pray publicly, to not neglect this gift of prayer that God has given to his church. It's our responsibility to pray. And then secondly, our time is moving on, but secondly, we see the right posture in prayer, the right posture in prayer. Verse 8, lifting up holy hands. Note this phrase, lifting up holy hands. It does have implications for posture, although there's no strict and binding pattern for posture and prayer within the scriptures. There are those who have bowed their heads, those who've kneeled, those who've lifted up their hands, those who put their face upon the ground as they prayed. Samuel Miller said about kneeling, it is significant and a significant posture and prayer strongly expressive of humility and reverence and earnestness. And we see the posture here then of holy hands. This was a common thing even in the early church. We would think today of it being something a little bit more charismatic. But it is symbolic. It shows to us the purity of prayer. It is this picture of coming to the Lord and lifting up our hands. And the Lord can see our hands and see the cleanness of our hands. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands. And Paul is saying, we're to have this right posture. As we come to pray, we're to have clean hands. Clean hands. When we have our church fellowship, our social in a few weeks' time, if I decided, well, I'm going to go and serve food for you. And I'd just been outside doing the gardening. Or I'd been working with animals. And I came in and my hands were covered in dirt. And covered in all sorts of things. And I said, well, there's sandwiches here. Or there's meat here. And I'm going to serve you. And I took the spoon. And I began to serve you. And bits of that dirt were dropping in the food that I was giving to you. And dropping in your plate. And dropping in your drink. You'd be reminding me of all the hygiene laws regarding serving food and telling me to go and wash my hands and making sure I wouldn't be doing that. Why? Because we see the importance of clean hands. You don't want to pick up disease because I neglected to wash my hands. It's an important thing, an important thing. If the health inspectors, if we have, I don't know how the process is in Canada, but in Northern Ireland, you would have health inspectors come in. They give places that serve food a hygiene rating. Uh, five, I think, being the best. Uh, but they come in and they look at your practice. They look at how you're running your kitchen. Is it clean? Are those who are working washing their hands? It's important. Hygiene is important. We know that. And Paul here is speaking about hygiene. 
Hygiene in the place of prayer. Hygiene in praying. Lifting up holy hands. Hands that have not been in the sin of this world. Dripping with the filth of wickedness and corruption. Smelling of all the filthiness of this world. And then coming and praying to God as if we haven't been sinning and living in open wickedness. This is what Paul is emphasizing here. We're to pray with clean hands. We're to live pure lives. We're to come to the Lord with holy hands, lifting up the hands for all to see, for him to see. These hands, they may be clean physically, but the Lord sees the inside. The Lord sees our spiritual lives, how clean we are. We cannot hide that. And this is important for us to examine. And as we consider the Lord's table, we are to examine ourselves. We're to look at our hands. Are they holy hands? Are they hands that despite our sinful natures and despite this world, the Lord is giving us the strength and help and that desire to have clean hands as we approach him in prayer? There were many pools of water around the temple. Cleanliness was vital in approaching God. And that's an outward sign of what should be an inward holy life. And there's a need for men and for women and for the leaders within the church of Christ to have clean hands and a pure heart. It's an honoring of God. Showing reverence to him. Showing reverence to him. I've often went to shake a man's hand or greeted a man I've went to visit him at his home and he's been out working. He's maybe been a farmer. His hands are covered and he has refused to shake my hand until he has washed his hand because it's simply, it's simply manners. Manners. There's a respect that you don't want all the filth in your hand to go on the other person and so you wash it. And this is what Paul is saying here. We love God and we reverence him and so when we approach him in prayer... We're not lifting up dirty hands. We're coming with hearts that are clean. And that is important, dear brother, dear sister, that is important to come before the Lord with clean hands. Of course, we can think of our sin. We can think of standing before God. And there are many who've lived in sin, who've never trusted Christ, who'll come to the Lord with dirty hands expecting God's blessing, expecting heaven, but their hands have not been washed with the precious blood of Christ. Is that you today? If you were to stand before God, your hands are filthy. Filthy hands in the sight of God. Oh, you need Christ to cleanse them, to make them holy hands. And then we see finally and quickly the right attitude in prayer. The right attitude in prayer. Without wrath and doubting. It means, that word doubting means debating or disputing, tension, disagreement, problems that have never been sorted. Oh, our emotions can get the better of us. And the apostle here is saying, don't come to the Lord in wrath. Don't come to the Lord with tension and disagreement and anger within your heart. Yes, we have to come with the problems of life. Yes, we have to come and bring the problems that others have brought upon us and the issues that others have caused in our lives but we're not to come with anger. We're not to come with hatred. We're not to seek the Lord and pray that he removes an individual in wrath and fire from heaven because we're so angry at them. 
We're not to do that. That's an abuse in prayer. And arguments and disagreements can hinder the life of the church and the prayer life of the church. If there's a disagreement between brethren, then naturally they will not feel that same desire or longing or love to pray one for another. Bitterness and resentment, as one man said, makes for sore prayers. Well, we're to have a love and a bond and a unity. This is what Paul is emphasizing here. As the men of the church pray, and in like manner also the women, as they pray, there's to be no wrath and no doubting, no disagreements, no divisions. These things are to be sorted out. We haven't time this morning to look at that process. But Matthew 18, talking to one another, sorting the issues out. If it cannot be resolved, there's that step then to go to the church to seek leadership and reconciliation. But there's to be peace and love between the brethren. Peace and love. This is what Paul is saying. As men come together, there's to be peace and love. We're not to have one man standing up and praying about this man over here and praying against him. And then that man stands up and prays against this brother. And then someone else is sick of everything that's going on. And they stand up and pray against both men. And the prayer meeting has come down to a level where everyone is having a go at each other. That's not how we pray. Paul's saying there's to be none of this. None of this. Our divisions, our disputations, our anger, our wrath is not to be found in prayer. We're to have peace and love, and therefore we're to seek that with the brethren. Is the peace and love between you and others, maybe not only within the church here, but Christians in other places? Can you pray for them and pray for them with a pure heart and a clean heart that God would bless them and God would encourage them and God's hand would be upon them? Or is there anger because of things that have taken place or jealousy? Oh, that we would seek the Lord and examine ourselves as we come to the table of the Lord, that we would not have a hatred or an anger. We can have misinterpretations of events and our anger can be stirred against one another because of a misinterpretation of a situation. And the brother or sister that caused it didn't mean to do that. They didn't mean for their words to be taken in that wrong way. And so that situation can be easily resolved. We're not to let things fester and cause such bitterness and division. And so we are to be a people that pray. We're to have that right responsibility in prayer. We're to have that right posture in prayer. We're to have the right attitude in prayer. These things are important. These things are important. Dear brother, dear sister, take this away today. In light of the Lord's table and examining ourselves, do we have the right responsibility in prayer? Do we see it is our duty to embrace this gift and to use it within our lives in the life of the church? Do we see the importance of holy hands, of clean hands and a pure heart as we pray? Do we see the right attitude? No hatred, no anger. Dealing with these things by the grace and help of God so that we can come together in unity. Are these things important to us? This is what we're being taught here today. And may we do so by the grace of God. You see, when we think of prayer, we can think of those who are younger within the church, those who are new converts. Have they much to learn in the place of prayer? Yes, they do. 
Is there much that the older mature saints can teach them? Yes. The things they can teach the older saints. And the older saints, those mature saints, are we not always learning at the place of prayer? Learning how to pray? Learning how to seek the Lord? Our spiritual lives are lives of learning. As a pastor, when I finished Bible college many years ago, I did not know everything. I think that's very clear. There are some things we're not taught at Bible college because there was so much to teach. So you definitely didn't know everything. You're always learning. And as you open the Word of God and read it and study it, you're learning new things. You're learning how to preach. You're learning how to pray. You're learning how to live for Christ. You're continually being sanctified and challenged through the Word. We never reach that perfection. We're always learning. And so if you're the youngest believer here, if you're the oldest believer, this is something you need to ask yourselves. We all need to ask ourselves, do we have that right focus on prayer, that right posture, that right attitude? May God grant it to us for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to the hymn 662. 662, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care. A hymn that reminds us of the importance of prayer and bringing our prayers to the Lord. And then immediately after, we'll come to the Lord's table. We'll sing verse 1 and verse 2, standing to sing. And then we'll come to the Lord's table and we'll ask our elders to make the way to the front as well. 662 standing verses 1 and 2.
Well, dear congregation, as we come to the table of the Lord that is laid out for us, for those who know and love him, seeking to walk in his ways, let us pray and seek the Lord. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy table that is spread before us. We thank thee for these symbols that remind us of the suffering of our Savior. We thank thee he is our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our Redeemer, that without Christ we are nothing. And as we meditate upon his death, as we think afresh and partake, Lord, give us grace. May we examine ourselves. We've heard this morning about prayer, and we pray that thy Spirit would enable us to examine our hearts, not only about many issues and the sins that can so easily beset us, but examine our hearts about prayer and challenge us about prayer. And we pray, O oh God, that we would leave this table refreshed by thee, challenged by thee, that if prayer is lacking within our lives, and of course, we are not perfect prayers. There's more that we can do. There's much more to learn. Much more time to be spent in prayer. Father, challenge our hearts. Challenge our hearts to live for thee and to serve thee and to glorify thee in all that we do. May this table be a witness to those who are outside of Christ. They would see the greatness of thy so great salvation. May it be used by thee to draw them to the Savior, we ask, for Christ's sake. Amen. I want to read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Um, we won't read the whole chapter this morning, but we'll read uh, from verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, spitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word and this reminder of the Saviour. How he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. And how, as we read, he was wounded for our transgressions. The word of God tells us he was made sin for us. With his stripes we are healed. Dear believer, let us think of the reality of Christ today. And how without him we would be nowhere. Without him we would be lost. And as we gather around this table, it is an important reminder of what Christ has done for us. 
reminder that he saved us and redeemed us, that his salvation is real and it is true. Reminder that we are his people. We're not the people of Satan. We are the people of God. And we're to live for him and examine ourselves that we would live for him. May we have a thankfulness in our hearts and a desire to tell others of the great Savior who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and through whose, whose stripes we are healed. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And may the great truths here be rooted in our hearts that we would even today be refreshed in our entire consideration and love for Christ and thankfulness for his work for us. Amen. Amen. We're coming to partake off the table and let us remind ourselves regarding the table of the Lord. It is a table that is open to all who know and love the Saviour, who are seeking to walk in his ways. But it is a table that is closed to those who are unconverted, those who have never repented, those who have never trusted in Christ. And so let us remind ourselves of that and the importance of eating and drinking worthily, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. And so, dear believer, we encourage you to partake and to receive that which has been provided. The Lord would give you grace. But if you're unconverted and you're not saved, do not partake because the warning is there in scripture of those who eat and drink unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let it slip by. But believer, may you be blessed as you partake today. I'm going to ask one of our brethren, one of our elders here, to give thanks for the bread that reminds us of the broken body of our Saviour. We bow our heads and pray together. Dear Lord, we come before thee on this Sunday morning. We thank thee, Lord, for many things. We thank thee for the gift of prayer. We thank thee for the gift of being able to come and meet together around this table. We thank thee, Lord. For thou hast drawn us here. You have put it in our hearts to come, to meet together, to hear the words of the sermon, to praise thee in song, and to worship thee in prayer as well. Thank thee, Lord, that we can know the Savior. Thank thee, Lord, that you have given us this precious gift that we may come and bow before thee. Help us to know our Savior, to increase that love for him. Help us to know what it cost our dear Lord to purchase our salvation. How he would suffer in our place. How he would give his body to be bruised to be nailed, to be speared, the thorn of crowns, the 
crown of thorns pushed upon his head, the whip, the chastisement. Oh Lord, we meet together in comfort because of our dear Savior and what he has done for us. He took our place at the cross. He bore all our iniquity, all our sin, that we may be redeemed. Oh Lord, help us as we would take of this bread to remember, to believe, help our unbelief, that we would know our Savior. Lord, lead us through life. Help us always to bow before thee, to commune with thee, for what thou hast done. Help us, Lord, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We'll hold the bread so everyone is served, and then we'll read together the words of institution. Word of God in 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And let us partake.
ask our brother Mrs. Samuel to give thanks for the cup that reminds us of the blood of the Saviour that was shed upon Calvary for us. Let us pray. Lord, with our heads bowed, Lord, may our hearts be bowed as well. Lord, may we be humbled at the feet of Christ as we think upon this communion service. Lord, thank you for it is the reminder of your great work of salvation upon that cross. Lord, for guilty sinners such as I and us, that Lord, we meet thee this day to give thee the honor and the praise that is due to thy name. And Lord, thank you for the blood that was spilt for us, that atoning blood that covers our unrighteousness and Lord, places your righteousness upon us. Lord, thank you for washing away the great guilt of sin. Thank you for cleansing us, making us whole. And Lord, thank you for uh, continual renewal, Lord, as we walk through this world, Lord, getting dirty feet and dirty hands, that, Lord, they can be washed and cleansed once again. Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would do a mighty work in and each, in and each every one of us. Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses for thy name's sake. Help us to make your name known amongst our families and amongst our community. Lord, may the blood of Christ have power in our lives and save those that are outside of Christ. Help us this day, Lord, to serve thee and to make much of thy name. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, we'll hold the cup so everyone is served. We'll read the words of institution.
The word of God says, after the same manner also he took the cup. And he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us partake together, please. Let us turn again to the hymn 662. 662, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. We rejoice that we can pray. And why can we pray? Because of what Christ has done. Because of what we have been remembering. The Saviour died and rose again ascended to heaven where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Hymn 662 verses 3 and 4. We can remain seated as we sing please.
eternal God and loving Father in heaven, we do give thee thanks for thy goodness and mercy toward us. We give thee thanks for this table that reminds us of what the Savior did for us. We rejoice for a delivered people, a redeemed people, a ransomed people, a people that love thee. And Father, we pray that thou would give us grace to live for thee this week, to go forth with the great message of the gospel, abounding in our hearts, abounding in our actions, being seen forth in all that we do for the glory of thy name. We pray for thy blessing upon us. We do remember the service in the Kerr home in a short time. Bless her, we pray. Glorify thy name and bring us again to thy house this night. We beseech thee for Christ's sake. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.